Today on the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing, we're hopping in the DeLorean, heading back to the 80s, and exposing the worst wrestling gimmicks of the era. And appropriately enough, old school Southern wrestling junkie Mike Mills joins me today on this quest. Plus, your promo about nothing is coming up and so much more, but first, tell him, George. I think I can sum up the show for you with one word. Nothing. Wrestling fans, there are millions and millions of podcasts out there, but there's nothing like this one. Do you ever just get down on your knees and thank God that you know me and have access to my dementia? This is the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing. Nothing? Nothing. Welcome to the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing, episode 118. My name is Mike Crockett. I'm a longtime independent wrestling referee in the Northeast, currently on an extended hiatus from the ring. And joining me is not the kingpin Brian Malonis. No kingpin this week. Instead, it's the man who trounced him in Uncivil War North versus South. The man who I think forfeited Uncivil War 2. I'm not sure. I guess we'll get into that. He is the host of Booking the Territory, the unprofessional wrestling podcast. It's the menace, Mike Mills. Hello, sir. Hey, how you doing, Crockett? How you living? I'm living okay. You know, uh, let's go, let's revisit that Civil War thing. I trounced him. He likes to blame it on the fact that he claims my show had a bigger following than the wrestling podcast about nothing. Uh, that sounds like bullshit as usual. Uh, the <laughs> second Civil War, you got caught in your own shit stirring. So we'll leave that where it was. But you tried to stir the shit between the old school and the new school. And what really happened was you were literally bamboozled. And it was a swerve, bro, (laughs) as me and Malonis put the boots to you on the (laughs) second version of the Uncivil War with old school versus new school. Because you just knew I was going to bury the new school. And then I started putting over the Young Bucks. And I started putting over Adam Page. And I started putting over all the ROH talent and the people in WWE that I like, like Kevin Owens and Sasha Banks. And all of a sudden, it was just, it fell apart right in front of you. And I give you credit. You kind of tried to call it in a ring, but you still kind of faltered and you were lost. <laughs> yeah, well. It was like you got blown up at the two count, like what happened in Brian Fury's retirement match, was it? When you went for three and it just, the fucking hand just flew up and you you just stuck there. It was Brian Fury's retirement match. I'm sure he'll be back soon enough, but yeah, that was his retirement match at the time. And no, I did not get blown up. That was just, uh, it's a rib. It's a rib. It's just fun and games. That never happened, Mike Mills. I don't know, Crockett. You looked a little gassed on the video and on the <laughs> on the on the pictures that I saw online, man. Well, you know, it had been a little while, but you know, it wasn't completely blown up. Oh yeah, clearly. But yeah, the Uncivil War, the first Uncivil War, is probably one of my favorite episodes of the wrestling podcast about nothing. Go out of your way to go back and check that out. Uh, the debate between Mike Mills and Brian Malonis. Uncivil War two, not quite as. Uh, Highly regarded in my eyes as the first one. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I sure you did think it was fantastic. Yeah, I got the boots put to me. You are correct in that regard. Uh, On Civil War 2 was earlier this year. You can check that out in the archives of uh, the wrestling podcast about nothing. Yeah, uh, Brian Malone is not here this week. He is riding those highways and byways all over the place doing that uh, 
wrestling thing. We'll talk about where he's headed later this month into August later on. But Brian Malone is not here. And thank you very much, Mike Mills, for stepping in. Of course, Brian Furrier was here last week stepping in with me. And you guys have kind of gone back and forth in who has the most number of appearances in the wrestling podcast about nothing. I think at one point you were neck and neck, but I think Fury's left you in the dust at this point. Oh, well, that's not a problem. I mean, he can have that if he wants it. <laughs> but, I mean, I, the thing is, I like listening to Fury on the show because he's got this weird laugh, I like to say. I don't know how to explain <laughs> it, where he, like, keckles or something. It's it's funny. And Brian Fury pops himself a lot. He he makes himself, like, lose it every now and then. And it's it's funny, man. So, Fury, I know you're listening to this. Uh, good job on the wrestling podcast about nothing. And um, I still disagree that I came in. You say I came into Uncivil War one unprepared but uh i just think you're a homer you know when it comes to supporting crockett and malonis even though crockett has blown up on the two count but yeah there you go well yeah brian fury was here last week and we talked about the worst ideas we've ever heard as a part of wrestling an idea that was given to us an idea that was given to someone else that either happened or didn't happen just like terrible booking ideas or otherwise in wrestling and is there anything that comes to mind for you mike mills something that you heard or were a part of that was just absolutely terrible i wasn't a part of what i'm about to tell you okay but when i say wasn't a part i wasn't going to be one of the participants or involved in this storyline or angle but there was a company that i worked for and they were about to get a TV deal, brother. Um, <laughs> Never heard that before. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know I'm saying that because how many times have you heard that? Can you count? Oh, no. Yeah, no. Every company. And when I say this, this is pre-YouTube taking off. Uh, you got to remember, like, I was involved in wrestling in late 95, early 96. So this is a long, long time ago. This is still in the 90s when, when I guess indie companies, well, not that I guess, but indie companies at that point were still wanting like some sort of TV deal. I mean, you, you couldn't really get your, your brand out there or your product out there with, without a TV deal of some sort, whether it was local or whatever. And for most of it, I mean, it was, it was, it was really local stuff and uh, that you were trying to do, which in many cases wasn't successful at all. I mean, there was hardly anyone that was successful with that, but you get the drift. Right. Uh, they wanted a TV deal. So this, uh, this company, they, they were, they were working on a big TV deal and blah, 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 blah. And they wanted to do something that would shock the world. Cause you got to remember this is during the ECW time when ECW had uh, taken over and it's this, this new brand and it's craziness and it's that uh, in Paul Heyman's words shot a nirvana that the that the wrestling business needed at, at that point in time because of uh, all the goofy gimmicks coming out of the 80s and early 90s right Crockett and we'll talk about that in a moment yeah right exactly so that it's, it kind of ties into all that but they wanted to do and look man I, I, I'm is one of the most open guys you'll ever find I don't give a damn if you're gay straight it doesn't matter to me that's your business that's your life whatever they wanted to do this gimmick where uh, this guy was so flaming uh, gay they were going to shoot this video where someone walks in on him, you know, providing service via orally to another man with his head bobbing up and down. And they wanted to do it for the shock value. And um, he was going to be this this flaming, I guess, gay character as, as a wrestler. Uh, that was going to be like one of his introductory things or so. I, I don't remember the whole story, but the deal was they're going to shoot this like vignette or video package where they caught him uh, servicing someone orally. And I. I remember like sitting there listening to them talking about this and talking it over. And I'm like, that might be the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life. It's freaking wrestling. Can we, can you, I'm sure we can be more creative or someone can be more creative. And, and they literally like thought this, this, I don't want to say any names, but there were a few people who thought this was a good idea. 
And yeah, like this would ever get on TV. Uh, uh, well, I mean, it's late and I was like later night, like 98 or so, 97, 98 around this time. So it probably, I wouldn't put it past you. I remember the Mark Henry deal with the girl. Well, it was turns out to be a transsexual woman, I guess, Sam. Uh, I mean, they showed like his face and she they went down onto her knees and you don't see what's going on. But I guess that's probably the closest that I could imagine uh, you could get away with on TV, especially in those days. They wanted to get this dude's head bobbing up and down, and at the end of it, they wanted to get him to turn around and realize somebody walked in. And as they turned around and somebody walked in, he would like wipe his lips off. It was just, like, <laughs> just freaking stupid, just dumb bullshit, like just stupid stuff, bro. I mean, come on, man. But you know that was like that again. And I don't, I don't want to blame it on ECW, but I feel like that was like the influence behind it. Like do something shocking enough where people are talking about it and they tune into your product whatever not my speed yeah. again i ain't got nothing if that's if that's your lifestyle have at it look go have fun whatever you want to do it just i just think for a wrestling program it's like yeah it's kind of dumb and man they were so close to that tv deal it was just weeks away bullshit they could have <laughs> got that on the air <laughs> i heard about that crap for months on end and i was like yeah, yeah what okay uh, is my money going to be in my envelope at the end of the night at the next show? I was like, that's all I was worried about. You know, like the TV deal, <laughs> whatever, whatever you say, pal. Probably not. It's all going to the TV station. If, uh, you know, cause <laughs> no one, no one was given TV in those days. You paid to be on TV. Yes, exactly. Well, so there you go. There's my story. <laughs> Very good one. Thank you. Uh, so the last time we talked about, uh, actually it was a few months ago, we talked about Smoky Mountain Wrestling on this podcast, myself and Brian Malonis. We watched an episode. Actually, it was the episode where it had the debut of the Gangsters. It was an episode that actually you recommended, Mike Mills, and we didn't have a lot of kind things to say about it. I know you did a voicemail saying that, you know, uh, that's fine. You, you, what did you say actually in that voicemail? <laughs> I just think it was funny. I think y'all were, I think y'all did a commendable job of trying to get a rise out of me and <laughs> I saw right through it. Uh, and I just called both of you out on it and you were both completely stunned by my response because you just knew I was going to come at you with fire and fury. God, I didn't mean fury. Like now Fury's going to have a big head or something. <laughs> yeah, no pun intended. Yeah, no pun intended, but you thought I was going to come at you with smoke coming out of my nose and blazing, and I just was like, this is funny. You guys shit all over one episode of 200 for a company that was very underrated, so I thought it was hilarious, and I kind of let you two have it, and, you know, the cat got your tongue after you heard that. You were like, up, 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 dum, dum, dum. You had no clue what to say. Even the executive producer of the show, T-Hog94, said it. He's like, you baffled him, so it was what it was. Now, to talk about that show, though, I mean, you got to be honest with yourself. If you, if I'm going to take you all seriously on your shenanigans that you pulled on that episode, you can't just take one episode of anything and judge it. That's not how episodic television works. That would be like flying into the middle of Breaking Bad, seeing an episode you hated and going, this shit's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. It doesn't work that way. It's episodic television. That's what makes good wrestling good wrestling. So I think you and Malonis were just having fun. You wanted the kiki, ha-ha, all that bullshit, and <laughs> that's how it was. 
God, your northern friend, your northern friends must hate me when I'm on this show. That's all I'm gonna say. They hate me. It's like that conceited bastard from the south. Fuck him. Proceed. <laughs> you gotta admit though, five promos from Jim Cornette in one hour of television—a little much. Yeah, that that episode was was like that. It's not like that all the time. One of the things I will say about Smoky Mountain that I do think is true at times, whenever you are the owner of a product, I can see how you would only trust yourself uh, or trust yourself more than others. And there are times when I think you, not purposely, but you may put yourself on TV a little bit too much because you trust yourself. You trust your own ideas and nobody can put your ideas forth like you can. So he was involved in a lot of stuff at that time. Uh, It's not always like that in that promotion. I mean, we did an episode this week where it kind of was reminiscent of that same one where he was on TV a lot. And I was like, all right, I got, I got Jim Cornette overdose right here. And I mean, you know, Jim Cornette and I are not tight, but I mean, I know him relatively well and, and uh, I respect the man and I, I like his old school philosophy and but I do appreciate the new school as well. And and I think in that episode, he, he was going a little bit too far. With <laughs> he was on TV a lot, yeah. let's just say that. Yeah, I know. And you're a Mid-South guy. And same thing with Bill Watts. He was the commentator essentially just so he could make sure that everything that he's doing in the promotion gets across. And the best way that he could do that in his eyes was to be the commentator and to you know narrate everything that's going on so everyone knows exactly what he's writing in terms of his booking. Uh, it would appear that way at times, yes. And you've been talking about Smoky Mountain here. We actually had you on when you were first starting the Smoky Mountain episodes. How far in are you and how much do you have left before you run out? Because it's only like a two or three year run for Smoky Mountain, right? It's it's uh, almost four years. So okay. it's uh, actually right at 200 episodes and we've aired through 100 So we're but we've recorded through like 104. So we're, we're a little bit more than halfway through at this point. What do you think when you're done? What are you going to do? I'm going to take a fucking break from two (laughs) shows a week is what I'm going to do. And I mean, you know, I do more than two shows a week. I do Smoky Mountain. I do NWA. uh, I do World Class. I'm involved in uh, a Mid-South show that is... um, Um, (laughs) Coming uh, soon! We've recorded some episodes, so everybody keeps asking when's it going to drop. I'm not the producer. I'm just uh, I'm just one of the on-air personalities or talents or whatever the hell you want to call me or podcasters. So you know, I'm involved in four shows at this time, and it's a little rough. So I'm going to take a break once Smoky Mountain's done, and we'll figure out where we'll go at that point. Probably, I don't know. We may provide more content for like our patron members because they're pretty loyal to us and they support us, you know. And we'll give them more content probably. Yeah, that makes sense to me. We did two episodes for a year. I know that you're aware of, and yeah, it just became became a lot. It's hard. Yeah, it takes its toll on you, man. It's hard. I mean, uh, even though the content is there, you got the shows that you're reviewing. It's hard. I mean, you got to produce it. You got to you got to upload it. You got to edit it. Uh, Podcasting is harder than people think. I mean, to do consistently, at least. I mean, if you're gonna do one a month, that's one thing. But it's a lot when you're doing 52, you know, a year for one show, and then you know, so every time if you're gonna do a weekly show, you're multiplying at 52 times each time. It's a uh, it's rough, but you know, I like it. I have fun. Uh, we have good supporters who support us and enjoy what we do. You know what stinks about uh, doing a podcast is the descriptions, writing the descriptions. I don't like that part. Me either. Takes too long. <laughs> I keep mine short and simple now. And you do, you do like timestamps as well, right? Uh, yeah, but that's a little bit easier in a way, if it makes sense. Because I kind of, it's kind of like almost the same thing every week. It's just the the like there's a template for 
your timestamps because you got the opening, you got whatever shenanigans you're going to do. Then you got the start of the review and then you got your promos of the week that we do. So like that's pretty structured in your interviews. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, writing down the timestamps. So it, that, that part's not actually as hard as it seems it, because you can kind of mark that down as you're editing as well. It, that part's easier than, than many would think. So you're doing the four or so podcasts and you're also writing for pro wrestling torture for pwtorch.com ring of honor your hit and misses column every week and so you've been watching ring of honor for weekly for was it a year now at least right well we've been we've been getting we started getting ring of honor where i live back in 2014 maybe probably around that 2015 is when i started watching it more religiously every single week and then from that point i pretty much was dialed into it Every single week around 2016 or so. But I started writing for The Torch January of 2017. Okay. Very start of the year. I want to say the first episode. I may have even, it may have even aired on like January 1st in the area. So yeah, it, it was uh, 2017. Started writing from then. So it's been over a year and a half. Yes, I write a Ring of Honor column weekly. And that's where you got buried when you tried to, you know, school me on new school. And I was like, I watched the new school. What are you talking about, Crockett? Yeah, now I'm very aware that you do a column on Ring of Honor, uh, the new school wrestling. What's your take on how Ring of Honor has been going? And uh, I guess specifically, what's your take on the Kingpin Brian Malonis being a part of Ring of Honor? Wow, I could take 40 minutes to answer that question. (laughs) Ring of Honor is enjoyable to watch for the most part. They've entered a new world with Honor Club because there are things that air – Sometimes I think can be maybe a little bit out of sequence, but then again, I understand the the battles that they may be dealing with related to airing house shows and then the, the TV. I mean, overall, I enjoy it. There are things about Ring of Honor that I'm not enjoying right now, as you ask this question. They're in the midst of the TV tapings from New York, and it's like, to me... And if there's Ring of Honor talent listening to this, this is not a criticism of you because I do enjoy watching just about everyone that's in that promotion. They're airing these like three episodes and this stuff was taped prior to Best in the World. It's kind of like, to me, the, the episodes are lame duck right now. So like we're waiting to get to the new TV tapings where they were taped after Best in the World. And I think it'll pick up and be a little bit better then. Uh, you asked me about Brian Malonis. Yes. I think him and the Beer City Bruiser are a tag team that they need to do something with because they are unique in their size and ability. I love <laughs> Colt Cabana is hilarious in describing Malonis and Bruiser. I remember when they first came out, I think Colt said uh, Malonis makes Bruiser look small or svelte. I think maybe was the words he chose. I think as a team, they could really, really do something. They're two big guys. Uh, Bruiser's pretty damn agile for his size. I mean, he's, he's you know, that freaking frog splash he does off the top for a man his size. I don't know if people realize that that's that's pretty damn good. I, I never forget when he came off the top rope on the, on the Jay Lethal. I forget the pay-per-view last year that was at. But, man, he's just... He's just a big dude, and he's very agile. And I think together they, they should be doing more with them. Um, what else you want to know about Ring of Honor, Crockett? Uh, you don't watch it. You don't even support your friend. What the hell's up with that? Yeah, I'm calling you out. Todd Sinclair, if you're listening, Mike Crockett, ain't, he, he, I don't know why he won't watch it. He doesn't even want to support his friends. It, it pisses me off. 
He's going to edit I, that out. <laughs> no, I'm not going to edit that out. Uh, so they're coming to Madison Square Garden. The information came out. Uh, yeah, it's probably a week and a half ago by the time this is airing. But they're coming to Madison Square Garden, WrestleMania weekend, uh, a joint show with New Japan Pro Wrestling. The G1 Supercard is what they're calling it. Do you think they'll put butts in seats? Do you think they'll fill this place up? That's a good question. Uh, yeah, I think so. Because of the time of year that it's in. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of people there. Ring of Honor put, I guess, six to seven in the Lakefront Arena in New Orleans WrestleMania weekend on a Saturday night, and it was running. It ran the same night as NXT, so I don't see, I don't see why not. And the Lakefront Arena is like eh, 10, 15 minutes from where most stuff was going on with Mania weekend. And I say that because I mean people didn't mind going out of the way, whereas in New York, I guess everything is a little more central. Where I mean everything that's going on. Let me just say this: the Garden, where the Garden sits, there's tons of people. Where Lakefront Arena sits, there's not tons of people. Uh, so I don't know, man. I think just that general. Yeah, they're gonna pack that building. I would think. You know, I'm not. I don't really watch New Japan, so that's kind of hard for me to assess. But I, obviously, they have a great following. But I think they'll. I think they'll pack it. I don't see why not. Well, they have to put twice the amount of people they had for last year's WrestleMania. I mean, they're expecting or they're hoping for their goal is 15,000 people in MSG. Uh, I think they they can do it, uh, partially because of just the prestige of Madison Square Garden. Uh, I've seen a lot of uh, conjecture online about, uh, forget TakeOver, I got to go to MSG and see what's going on with Ring of Honor. It's almost like... A silent protest to what's going on with uh, WWE these days. I know a lot of people are sour on what WWE is doing, especially this summer since WrestleMania. But uh, it's almost like let's put all of our eggs in the ROH basket on Saturday night and you know roll the dice there. Especially since they're in MSG, it's going to be very interesting to see how those two do head to head and what WWE will try to pull to get the eyes on them on that night. I know Triple H is, of course, he's the godfather, they say, of NXT. He's your favorite guy in the world. But uh, I, I think they will try to make some big moves. I mean, you see people online talking about Kenny Omega, his contract expires early 2019. Will they try to get him? And I mean, even if he goes to WWE, I wouldn't expect them to put him in NXT. I wouldn't expect him to want to be in NXT. But... It's very interesting what can happen between now and that event in the MSG. Yeah, I mean, I just, I think they'll do fine there that night. I just, I can't see them struggling to fill it just because of the time of the year. And I mean, I, dude, it's, it's Mania weekend. So the amount of wrestling fans that'll be in town, I don't, I just don't see how they don't fill it. I, maybe that's just me being naive. I just think between New Japan and Ring of Honor, I, I, I think they fill it just fine. You need Brian Malonis there to really uh, put it over the top. Yeah, we, we need to have the kingpin there. You know, we, we, we'd love to see him there. I mean, you know, even though you don't watch him and you don't watch the product, uh, <laughs> when's the, let's put you on the spot. When's the last Ring of Honor episode you've watched? Um, well, I was there live. Um, they were, was that a TV? No, it was, it was a Honor Club. That wasn't TV when they came here on like a Wednesday night for. Uh, the, the one in Lowell? Yes. That was like four months ago, Crockett. Yeah, yeah. And I did see uh, Kingpin's first match as part of the tag. Actually, I think I saw the first two of him on ROH TV. So maybe I'm a little behind. Just a little bit. But I still support him from afar. Uh, yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, I'm sure you enjoyed when your friends told you that when you were working the Indies. I support you from afar. Motherfucker, that doesn't pay the cost of a ticket. Jesus. <laughs> well, I will support him even further by saying go to BrianMalonis.com. Okay. That is where you can get the t-shirts of Brian Malonis. Support him. He's got the new Mega Malonis t-shirt to take off on the Mega Millions logo. A lot of people loving that one. Go check that out. Plus, the Curtain Jerker WPAN t-shirt is there as well. BrianMalonis.com. That is your connection to the Pro Wrestling Tea Store of the Kingpin where you can support him directly. And I think that's better than any support that I can give him. I think so, too, because you're not a very supportive friend. (laughs) okay well uh go to the wpan.com the wpan.com that is our website where you can find all the episodes find the ways to subscribe to the podcast plus you can get our bios photographs from the past of uh, malonis and myself in the wrestling business so much more at our website the wpan.com and between podcasts you can find us on the putting over podcasts facebook group just go to facebook put in the search bar putting over podcasts Join the group and talk about all wrestling podcasts. And you are diving into Facebook groups, Mike Mills, right? How's that going for you? Uh, I mean, I think it's good for, like, you know, we've had the Facebook page for a while, but I've noticed something about Facebook pages. Yeah, they suck. They, they I mean, they don't really generate much interaction as far as the amount of, like, discussion with them, even when you post episodes. So I took a hint from, I guess, Joe and Quinn from our vantage point, and I was like, and then uh, Brian Lass as well from the, the Mothership. I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll start a BTT Facebook group just for the show. It, groups are ten times better as long as you set some parameters uh, around it. But I think groups are ten times better than actual pages. I mean, I, I, we've got over eight thousand people on our page, and very. I mean, we get little interaction, but not as much. And whereas, I, literally, I just started the group, and it's uh, I guess pushing two hundred at this point. Only two hundred people, but there's. Tons more discussion about show topics and whatnot. And I think it's because in groups, people can actually post where other people see it. Whereas on just like, you know, business pages, if they post, it goes under the post section, but no one ever sees it unless they were to click on that. So I think groups are much more better for, I'm starting to find out groups are much more better. So yes, we have a group. I think I even did a tiny URL for it. Uh, tinyurl.com slash BTTFB group is the address and uh yes if you listen to the show it'll ask you a few questions uh mike crockett is a moderator i hope that was a wise choice on my part to like make him a moderator <laughs> along with myself to help manage the group but there you go uh ask and we will let you in or request access and we will let you in yeah but you have to know the answers to the questions i'm not letting anyone in unless they know the answers to the questions <laughs> Yeah, and the point is to the questions, it's like, you know, you just want to make sure people just aren't asking the kid in that never listen to the show and just want to post a random, you know, BS. It's actually listeners of the show who support the show and know the answers to the questions. It's not a long quiz or anything, but yeah, I agree. Yeah, the thing with Facebook, they have done everything they can to downplay businesses. They want it to be person-to-person contact. So any, yeah, any of those business pages, like, uh, you know, the page for booking the territory the page for the wrestling podcast about nothing they are downplayed so far like you post something and you got i know you have like seven or eight thousand people on your facebook page i'm sure like it's in the double digits the people who actually see it yeah i mean it's it's like um whenever i make a post according to the post it reaches like a thousand people which is weird uh, in a way but it's it's stupid the way they do it you know what it is too they want you to pay they want you to run an ad right right exactly so I agree. It's shitty. And so that's another reason why we did the group. It's 
much more visible. You don't have to run ads for your people to see it. There you go. Yeah, so join the Book in the Territory group. Join putting over podcasts. Hell, join the OVP group, and let's all talk about wrestling. All right, let's get into the worst gimmicks of the 1980s. Of course, you guys out there voted on Twitter at the WPAN. This was the winner of the poll. Worst gimmicks of the 1980s. We have actually done on this podcast, me and Malonis have, the worst gimmicks of the early 90s and the worst WCW gimmicks. But this one is encompassing all of the 1980s, all promotions. And Mike Mills, I know that you're itching to go with this one. Well, I mean, can we just go down the 1980s roster in the WWF and all the and Jim Cornette's words, hokey horse shit that in the cartoon characters and everything that were out there? Well, come on now. They're not all like that. <laughs> I, I actually I say that knowing there was some stuff in WCW at the time or in the NWA that uh, late 90s especially that was uh, pretty good. But uh, oh, do you want me to go first? And I, I wasn't planning on going in any particular order. No, no, no. Yeah, just random. Okay, so uh, would you like to lead off, or would you like me to lead off? You're the guest here. Well, actually, you're the co-host, but go ahead. Well, so this guy that I'm about to mention was a real badass throughout Southern Wrestling, and even when he first came into the WWF, and Vince McMahon took this big, large man, and he made him Akeem the African Dream. Now... (laughs) I'm all for celebrating everyone's culture. I think that's a positive thing and uh, that us as humans should do. But they literally made this big badass from Chicago. Well, he's not really from Chicago. He's from South Carolina. But built from you know Chicago and from the mean streets of Chicago into Akeem the African Dream. So they turned the one-man gang into a cartoon character as Akeem the African Dream. The irony is if you talk to gang – uh, a lot of people <laughs> only know him as Akeem, which is really, really weird uh, when I've talked to him about this. So, yes, they made this white man <laughs> named <laughs> uh, George Gray, the one-man gang. They turned him into someone from the deepest and darkest parts of Africa. <laughs> and they did this tribal dance and chanting around fire when <laughs> when they introduced him as Akeem the African Dream. So... I had to go with that one as one of my like silly gimmicks because One Man Gang was a serious big man and they turned him into a this the African American dream, Akeem. What the hell? Wait, was he supposed to be a black man or was he supposed to be Dusty Rhodes? He's I always took it as he was <laughs> supposed to be a black man. I took it that he was supposed to be yes, like I mean he came out he dude, they had him doing that silly dance. <laughs> Come on, it was fun. I guess. I mean, and <laughs> you know, he when he was on when he was on Booking the Territory years ago, yeah, I uh, did a three hour long episode with him. And he said that and I'm sure everyone's heard the story, when Vince came to him to tell him about the gimmick, he was like, George, you know, the, the one man gang gimmick isn't colorful enough. <laughs> so they put him in this Daishiki and they had him wear his hat, and he, you know, and he already had the beard and stuff. And Gang had no rhythm, if you remember him dancing as Akeem, the African <laughs> dream. So he's like, I was just this white guy out there dancing and, you know, and me and Slick. And it's just, oh, my God. They turned him into the the African dream, Akeem. 
And you gotta remember, Crockett. I remember this dude from Mid South. He was a badass son of a gun from Mid South and world class, and just a dude that was a rough shot. Didn't take no shit from nobody, and he became a cartoon character. All right, well, if you're going to come after the WWF, I'm going to come after the NWA, I'm going to come after Jim Crockett Promotions, and my first terrible gimmick is Lasertron. What are you going to say about Lasertron? He comes out, he's got the, like, I had laser tag when I was a kid, you have the gun, and you have the little badge that you wear on your chest. They just went out to Toys R Us, you know, when it was still around, and they grabbed the laser tag game, the same one that I had. They put the little badge on uh, Hector Guerrero's chest. They gave him the gun and a holster, and they put a silly mask on him. He's from the great Guerrero family, and turned him into freaking Lasertron. It was pretty, pretty pathetic. Yes. It was bad. I mean, that wasn't the worst, but you're right. He literally came out with a with like a laser gimmick on his hip, plastic. <laughs> I can't. It was pretty dumb. And for those who don't know and aren't familiar with uh, the gimmick, the very first time he was on NWA Saturday Night on TBS, there was a person in the crowd yelling, "Get him, Hector!" Get him, Hector, <laughs> who kept yelling Hector Guerrero's name. So someone in the crowd, the, the night he made his debut on Saturday night, I somehow knew it was Hector Guerrero. Now, as a kid, I never knew it was Hector. But as an adult, when I was uh, you know rewatching it, I was like, wow, there's actually someone yelling, get him, Hector. So uh, Hector Guerrero, part of the worst gimmicks of the 80s. And when we did the worst gimmicks of the early 90s, of course, he was also the gobbledygooker, so he was prominently featured in that episode of the podcast as well. So Hector Guerrero, not a great run in terms of gimmicks where he is not Hector Guerrero. Jesus. I mean, like, was it, would it have been that hard to make Hector Guerrero the junior champion? Because that's what they did. They put the belt on him yeah. in Crockett Promotions. I mean, could you, could you not do that with Hector? I mean, why did you have to make him into laser trying? It's like the, that, at that point, I think they had seen all the bad WWF gimmicks and were like, hey, we're going to one-up you. <laughs> or or we're to try to replicate what you're doing. Like, I think they did that. Because, I mean, they, they did that with more than just him. There's a few others as well. Like, uh, I don't have a lot to say about this group, but I'll throw out two out there. Like, you know, I don't want people to say I'm I'm freaking biased towards, you know, bashing WWF during that time. But, like, the ding-dongs and the new breed, like, they come to <laughs> mind. Just, I don't even know what the fuck the ding-dongs were. Or they had, like, these orange or peach-colored tight suits. And it's just stupid. Like, yeah, dumb. And then the new breed were this supposedly this tag team from like the future. Yes. And they debuted in eighty seven and they were from two thousand and one and they had come back and it just just dumb. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. It's just really, really dumb. Uh, it's stuff like that. So there you go. There was that you're not gonna get any more um <laughs> crocker promotion stupidity. That's my that's my limit. We went through Lasertron, the ding dongs and the new breed. Oh, don't worry. I have quite the list, Mike. Of course you do. We'll get our fill. But yeah, the new breed has been prominently featured in the promo about nothing segment numerous times here in the wrestling podcast about nothing. Yes, they are from the year 2002. I have to correct you there. Yes, where apparently Dusty Rhodes is the president of the United States. And they are living on Cybertron, which is the home of the fictional Transformers. So... Yeah, just silliness. I mean, I guess Chris Champion was a good talker. 
Uh, Sean Royal was not a good talker, but Chris Champion, I think, I mean, could partially sell it, but still, he speaks with such conviction that I mean, you might be led to believe it, but he's still, he's talking about living with the fucking Transformers. So, yeah, the, the new breed, not one of the best things to come out of Jim Crockett promotions. And the Ding Dongs, as you mentioned, yeah, they came out with a bell that they would ring all the time. God damn. That's it, I guess. That's the whole gimmick, that they liked bells. Stupidity at its finest, my God. So, yeah, that's Jim Hurd for you. Uh, yeah. The much maligned uh, president at the time. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about 1986. A movie came out that set the world on fire. It was called Crocodile Dundee. So, of course... Vince McMahon, the WWF, had to capitalize on this by introducing to the World Wrestling Federation Outback Jack. This guy literally couldn't wrestle. From what I read, he started wrestling in 1986 and ended up in the WWF in 1986. So very little seasoning, no seasoning, I would say, for Outback Jack, whose name is... Pete something or other. I, I had it up here a second ago, but I lost it. Just because he had an Australian accent, he could pull off being this Outback Jack character, this ripoff of Crocodile Dundee. They brought him in. They rushed him in to capitalize on the success of the movie. And he was absolutely terrible in the ring. He ended up, I mean, within a year, being a job guy, essentially, an enhancement talent, and disappeared uh, I think in the year 1987, but Outback Jack was just brutal in every way, just the epitome of just trying to capitalize on something and putting no forethought into it, not getting someone that could actually fill the role competently, just a guy with an accent, and here he is, let's bring him in and let's try to get those Crocodile Dundee fans to be wrestling fans, and it didn't work. Did you ever see Outback Jack, Mike? I did. It was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. It was, <laughs> like you said, uh, literally, it was inspired by the Crocodile Dundee movie. And I I guess it, that's probably the, the shining example of let's take some crap that's in pop culture, which I guess you'd call it, and let's just make a character out of it. It just, it was dumb. This is This is when I get into like, you know, people like to criticize certain things about wrestling and, like, people forget the stupidity of WWF at times. This had no place in wrestling. It, the guy was a freaking movie character. Just because somebody's a movie character doesn't mean you need to make him a wrestler. And it was dumb. I mean, it was just really dumb. They tried, but I don't remember him wrestling. Like, I don't remember a lot about him wrestling. So, like, when you tell me he was really, really terrible, I just remember the gimmick being dumb. Like, because you immediately, when you saw it, you were like, oh, look, this is some Crocodile Dundee knockoff. Like, that was the first thing that came to mind for me. Hmm, movie characters. Maybe we'll come back to that. Um, <laughs> what else do you have there for worst gimmicks of the 80s? Actually, it's funny. I only have uh, two more. But okay, one of them is going to shock you, I think. But this one won't. The Red Rooster. Oh no, they are. <laughs> y'all talked about <laughs> no the shock. Have no y'all talked there. about the rooster before? I'm sure we have. Yeah. 
<laughs> okay, I'm trying to remember. So, like, here's the thing about the rooster, and, and like more has come out about the rooster since since uh, over the last few years because I've heard Bruce Pritchard talk about the red rooster, and here here's where I call a little bit of BS on what Bruce is saying. Yeah. So Terry Taylor was a pretty good technical like wrestler. He was really good. In Mid-South, I mean, he was a North American champion at one time. He was good, man. I mean, I don't ever ever want to say, like, Terry's, like, promos were fantastic, but he wasn't bad. He was a good wrestler, decent promo, really knew what he was doing. So he goes up there, and they make him the Red Rooster. So Bruce Pritchard's version of this is, well, he was a cocky son of a bitch. So when we said the Red Rooster, we meant, like, the Red Rooster, you know, like, cocky, arrogant. Well... (laughs) That's fine, Bruce, if you want to say that. Who's producing the segments that he's in where he's fucking keckling like a rooster and cockadoodle doing? That doesn't add up to me. So what are you talking about when you say y- your vision of him was of this cocky dude who could get all the ladies? A cocky dude who can get all the ladies doesn't paint his head in a fucking stripe with a damn uh, rooster thing on his head. Like, he literally even would do the movement like a rooster with his head. So Bruce Pritchard's story doesn't match off what we see. And I'm not buying Terry Taylor just was doing that on his own because if he was doing that on his own, Vince or somebody would have said, no, we want you to be like a, when we say rooster, we want you to be someone who's just a cocky dude, an arrogant dude, which actually, if you think about it, was Mr. Perfect. Mr. Perfect was that character in a way. He was cocky, arrogant. He did everything perfectly. So when Bruce Pritchard says, well, the rooster was, he was supposed to be just cocky. He wasn't actually supposed to be a rooster. I call bullshit on that because well, why didn't somebody put a stop to it? There's 50 million fucking vignettes out there and interviews where he's acting like a goddamn real rooster. Yeah, and on top of that, you talk about how Bruce said that perhaps Terry Taylor went out on his own to do this stuff. Like, But the reason that Pritchard gives for not getting over is that Terry Taylor didn't fully commit. So which is it? Did he commit to getting that fucking stripe down his head? and cockadoodle doing or did he not commit enough i don't understand it, it just doesn't make sense to me it's a whole contradiction what bruce pritchard's saying about it the rooster gimmick was really dumb and for one terry taylor obviously looks like he embraced it because he's cockadoodle in the fucking interviews yeah. like he's he's acting stupid as can be he's he's bobbing his head you know doing that rooster strut the way a damn rooster does it he's got his hair done and spiked up red top he committed to that. So are you saying he, you didn't want him to do that? He was supposed to act like a cocky dude? Well, then put a stop to what he's doing. You're the fucking producer of this shit. Maybe maybe he's not. I don't know if he was producing Terry Taylor. I'm not 100% sure. My point is, if McMahon didn't want him acting like a goddamn rooster, like literally a rooster, they would have stopped it. Exactly. But no, you let it go. So it's a dumb gimmick. I don't blame Terry Taylor. I blame Vince McMahon and Bruce Pritchard and Bruce Pritchard defending it as much as I have no problem with Bruce Pritchard. I call bullshit on his example of this right here. It was really dumb, a dumb gimmick for a dude who had decent and was a really good talent. 100% agreed. And we've talked about him. We actually had a promo about nothing with the Red Rooster. So I, that I know that we have talked about the Red Rooster in the past. And speaking of the promo about nothing, we had another promo about nothing that was famous that a lot of people talked about early on in this podcast where we went to the AWA and we talked about Flapjack Scott Norton. Do you remember these promos, Mike Mills? I don't remember the specifically what was said, but I do remember the promos with Flapjack Scott Norton. 
Scott Norton, the gimmick was that he was a lumberjack and he had the world record for eating pancakes. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, wow. so they called him Flapjack Scott Norton, and that's his gimmick. He's a lumberjack who can eat a whole lot of pancakes. Jesus. That's classy. I think I think the less said about that, the better. We actually did two promo about nothings uh, about Flapjack. You can go back in the archives and check that out. But Flapjack Scott Norton. I was looking for um I was looking for my soundboard to get it loaded up because um I wanted to play something for you. Say that again. What did? What, how did he get the name Flapjack? He ate a whole lot of pancakes. Jesus. <laughs> there you go. That's my comment on that. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Yeah. That was uh, Ron Wright. That was Ron Wright. Yes, that was. <laughs> From Smoky Jesus. Mountain Wrestling. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Okay, you said you had one more, right? I can go all day. Let me give you one more from your beloved Jim Crockett Promotions, okay? Okay, I see what this is. Let's attack Jim Crockett Promotions. I got you. All right. Do we want to talk about Paul Jones as Hitler? Uh, You can, but (laughs) I don't want... That was a big delay. He did look like Hitler, but, I mean, he was the leader of the misfit army. So, yeah, I mean, go ahead. Go ahead. Let's hear it. Uh, Jim Crockett, uh, I mean, not Jim Crockett, Jim Cornette has talked about this, I've heard on his podcast, where every week Paul Jones would trim a little bit more off of his mustache yeah. on either side <laughs> until one week it was just the Hitler mustache. And yeah, it was I think close. someone came up to him, an executive came up to him, or I think it might have been Dusty Rhodes at the time said, yeah, get rid of that. But there was a time where he was dressed. He looked. He had the hair, you know, the the slicked hair with the with the part coming down over his forehead. He had the mustache. He had the military garb, where he looked strikingly like Hitler. I, here's the thing. I, I've rewatched all those episodes recently. Yeah. When Cornette was talking about this, I specifically remember looking for it. While he did have somewhat of a Hitler mustache, it never got as extreme as the Hitler mustache, meaning that it was thick and bushy, but it never was trimmed all the way like it. It wasn't even close, to be honest with you. But the thing that made him look like Hitler more than just a mustache was the garb, what he had on. He had the, I don't even know how to call it, the, the khaki type. It's it's all the pictures of that you've seen of Hitler in the, uh, I guess I don't want to say the military outfit, but he 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 had a Hitler look to him. He definitely did. And I don't see that wasn't even a bad gimmick though, Crockett. It just was. He was the leader of these misfits, and the misfits themselves weren't really, and they weren't called misfits. They were called Paul Jones's army, but they weren't really like. I don't know if they were trashy gimmicks. I mean, Barbarian was one of them. Uh, Shaska Watley was another one. Tijo Khan. T.J. O'Connor was an outlier, though, to me, because he, he wasn't really on TV a lot. He technically was a part of him, but yeah. Uh, Baron Von Raschke, but I mean, Baron Von Raschke, he may have been Paul Jones' army, but I mean, he was a Baron in many, many other places before ever being in Crocker Promotions, so he wasn't... And a notable Nazi. Right, and his gimmick was... Right, he he was a Nazi. His gimmick was <laughs> the Nazi gimmick, and I mean, that's not really a bad gimmick. That was for its time and place, you know, coming out of World War II, was commendable as a heel gimmick. I mean, that was... He wasn't the only one that did that. So, I don't know. I, I agree with you, Paul Jones's look in the 80s. If you look back at it now, you're like, holy shit. I mean, it's kind of like when I watch Baron Von Rasky. He, he walks around the ring and he goose steps. 
It's like, and you look at it in today's environment, you're like, holy shit, what am I watching? But yeah, I don't know. I can't go with you on that one, but you know, I hear you. He did have a little bit of a Hitler look to him though. Okay, one more. One more then. One more. You don't agree with that one? Let me give you this one. Shane Douglas, Johnny Ace, the dynamic dudes. (laughs) Two guys who were dudes that loved skateboards that didn't ride their skateboards. They just carried them to the (laughs) ring. I showed. So we've talked about this on my show. You know, my wife loves Total Divas and Total Bellas. Doesn't like wrestling because it's stupid. You know, it's fake, right? That's fake. I wrestled shit's fucking dumb and it's hokey and fake. But boy, if I turned on a recorder and filmed her watching Total Divas or Total Bellas, you would see the reactions that some of us had in the 80s and 90s watching wrestling. Like, that's the type of reaction to the heels and faces that she gives on Total Divas and Total Bellas. So I was showing her, hey, you want to see what uh, Nikki Bella's like stepdad are they married? Is is Johnny Ace married? Is are they married yet? I'm not even sure. I think so. I don't know. I think so. Okay. Johnny Ace and the Bella's mother, yeah. Right, soon to be. So I was like, Do you want to see him when he wrestled? And she's like, Who, him? I was like, Yeah, he was like, He was a wrestler. I <laughs> showed footage of him as Johnny Ace. You know, in uh the 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 gimmick and she was like That's him? I was like, Yeah, that's him. Look at him. And she just shook her head and was laughing because, you know, she thinks all wrestling's dumb, but that was really, really dumb. The dynamic dudes just, they're trying to be like cool guys, but they're awkwardly holding these skateboards like, hey, you know, we're just like you. We ride around on skateboards, except we don't actually use them. Uh, yeah, they just never connected at all with the fans. They were trying to be the next big babyface tag team, the next Rock and Roll Express, but never, ever were able to connect with the fans like them. It was that era, too. I mean, you got to think about it, you know. That was the era of like the skateboards and the coolness and stuff. So I guess on the surface, you're like, oh, this will get over. But it just was really dumb. And the thing was, like Shane Douglas, obviously, goes on to prove how talented he was his time in ECW. And I mean, I think I think the Shane Douglas character was 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 a hell of a character. I mean, he goes on to prove how good he ends up being. But yeah, in that gimmick, they just it wasn't it wasn't good. No other way to say it. Yes, you are correct. And uh, so what is your final worst gimmick of the early 1980s? Of the entire 1980s, I should say. I want to reiterate something when we're going down this list. This is not a list of of talking about who bad wrestlers are. The the factor is they're a bad gimmick. So when when we say these things, I mean, as we've gone down, I'm like, the Red Rooster, Terry Taylor, was not a bad wrestler. The gimmick was just the shits. Outback Jack was a bad wrestler, and the gimmick was dumb. Akeem the African Dream... One Man Gang was not a bad wrestler. He got over as a one man gang in many different territories. Made, you know, made made a lot of money as the one man gang and put asses in the seats. But to me, as I came the African Dream, it was a cartoon character and was really dumb. The Ding Dongs, I really don't know. The New Breed, like you said, they, you know, not bad as far as wrestlers, as far as the New Breed goes. But the gimmick was just kind of dumb. But anyway, so I wanted to make that point that we're talking bad gimmicks here. We're not talking bad wrestlers. We also. We didn't talk about this at the beginning, but something else we didn't say was, as a bad gimmick, it still could have made money, in my opinion. Now, this will make sense as I present these last two talents to you. So these guys that I'm about to tell you about, they were fucking savages in Southern Wrestling. They, when they came to the ring, you knew you were going to see blood and guts. They had a feud with the Fantastics in the UWF that was 
ridiculously off the chain. Blood everywhere. They killed each other. And that is, at the time, they were known as the New Zealand sheep herders or the New Zealand Kiwis. Butch and Luke were savages in the most savage way at one point in time in Southern wrestling. They go up to the WWF and they're a cartoon character uh, stomping to the ring through the bush and licking children on the forehead, making their ways to the ring. And for that, the Bushwhackers, although I think they actually did well and put asses in the seats, it was the stupidest shit I've ever seen because they were such savages in the South, man. So I had to go with the Bushwhackers. And I think you and Malone has actually talked about this recently with them licking foreheads and shit. Because, like, I don't know if a wrestler could go to the ring nowadays and lick a kid in the head. I just think that <laughs> might not go over too well. So, like... When you look back at it all these years later, you're like, what the hell was I watching? But seriously, these dudes were really, really talented. They, in the South, and like the UWF, they're few with the Fantastics, if you're not familiar with it. They, they murdered each other throughout the territory. And I was talking to Bobby Fulton a while back, probably about a year and a half ago. Bobby Fulton was talking about when he talked to, to Butch and Luke, he would say that, you know, people do remember them from their time in the WWF, you know, licking kids in the head and all this stuff and being cartoon characters. But he said, a lot of people remember them from their UWF days and they talk about the feud with them in the Fantastics uh, because the UWF was national. Now, Watts ended up selling the Crocker promotions, but they had a nice little run in, in 86 when they first went national. It was, uh, it was, they did well. 87 was a different story in my opinion, but 86 was good. And they, they were part of that, the Bushwhackers. So, um, there, there were the Bushwhackers in the WWF, but they will always be to me, the uh, New Zealand sheep herders. So the sheep herders again, they made money. I, I'm pretty sure they made money for the company. So it's kind of hard when, when I talk about them being a bad gimmick. I understand that they may be a bad gimmick that made money, but they just they, they made a mockery of them, in my opinion. But it is what it is. I was one of those guys who wasn't aware, really, of them before they came See? to the WWF. And I thought it was a perfectly harmless thing. They were a kinder, gentler version, I guess, of the sheep herders. I actually did see, uh, you know, bloody pictures of them in the magazines, but never seen them actually wrestle. But, I, I mean, it was inoffensive to me. If you, Mike, had not seen them before they came to the WWF, would you be this offended by the gimmick, the Bushwhackers? I don't know if I, I see like that's the thing. I'm not offended by it. It's just that when I see it, like they made a mockery of what they were. Okay. Which, you know, in Vince McMahon's defense, like you, you hadn't seen them anywhere else. You just thought they were fun and goofy and I guess took them as, you didn't take them as a joke. You just thought they were out there having fun. So, you know, I, I get. I mean, I can see both sides of it, uh, uh, but I, I'm telling you, if you saw them like me as an 11 year old, literally out there bleeding their guts out every time you saw them on TV every Saturday, you would be like, "What the fuck is this? What are they doing with them?" And see, that's like what happened. That's what happened to a lot of Southern wrestling fans. Like we saw these guys before they went up north. So we saw the sheep herders before they became cartoon characters. We saw Terry Taylor before he became the rooster. We saw, you know, Akeem the African Dream um, before he became Akeem the African Dream. We saw Hacksaw Duggan when he was actually a serious talent and not a ho with his eyes twisted and blowing snot out of his nose. So, like, people who defend the WWF all the time, I don't know if they realize, like, we saw the perspective of all those guys who drew money in the Southern territories that went up North and were kind of like made a joke of. So that's, 
when you hear people get defensive of Southern wrestling, that's what they're talking about more than anything. Now, I mean, look, Miss McMahon made money, so it is what it is. But my point is, I saw all these guys before they were who they were up there. Now, the other thing, too, like, I got to give Vince credit on one. The freaking million-dollar man, and I know we're not doing top gimmicks, but he took Ted DiBiase, which Ted DiBiase was a star before that. I don't want people to understand that. I want people to get it. Ted DiBiase was a well, he was a big-time star throughout Southern wrestling promotions and the territories. But the Million Dollar Man gimmick was was exceptional. He was the one guy that I think went up there and I was like, oh yeah, he's a he's he he became more there than he may have been down south. Even though he was great down south. He was the one. You said that he's the one? Yeah. Uh, Alright, well, let's come back to this argument. Yeah, well I mean like I'm I'm giving you a bunch of guys that ended up you know, they he made a joke of. What I'm saying is his gimmick in the WWF wasn't a joke. Right. But there's got to be more than that. We'll have to revisit this at some point and talk more about this. It's got to be more than just one guy. Send your hate mail to at Mike504Saints on Twitter. There you go. <laughs> All right. One that I think we can both agree on, Mike Mills, a guy in the WWF, that uh, terrible gimmick. He didn't come from the South. He came from out West. He came from Hollywood to be a part of of the World Wrestling Federation. He was in a movie with Hulk Hogan. We talked about movies earlier on. And then he was a character in the movie, and that exact same character went into the WWF and just acted, I guess. But he wasn't acting. He was really in the WWF if you're stuck in this world of kayfabe. He was Zeus, Tiny Lister, a guy who portrayed a wrestler in No Holds Barred with Hulk Hogan. Then he came into the WWF as Zeus, and we're supposed to believe that he is this person. Terrible. This happened in 1989. That's when No Holds Barred came out. Uh, just, I don't understand like how you're supposed to rationalize in your head that this guy, was he supposed to be, was Zeus a guy that's playing himself in this movie? No, they say he's Tiny Lister in the movie. Then he comes into the WWF where you know we're still in the throes of everything is legit. We're trying to get the people to buy this shit. And he is Zeus in the WWF. And by the way, wrestling absolutely terribly. <laughs> just uh, hammering guys in the trapezius muscles with his fists. He just didn't do well. He was... Uh, he had, they ended up putting him in with a tag team with Randy Macho Man Savage for No Holds Barred, the match, the movie, Zeus. He never had a single... Did he have a singles match? I don't think he did because if he did, he would have never gotten through it because, you know, he's an actor. I mean, don't blame him. He's an actor from Hollywood who's playing a role, but we're supposed to believe that he's not playing a role. We're supposed to believe that Zeus is a wrestler now in the WWF, and just, it was completely nonsensical, just couldn't, in my mind, couldn't figure it out, but we were supposed to buy it, and many people didn't, I didn't, and uh, Zeus, Mike Mills, probably the worst gimmick of the 80s to me. That shit was dumb. <laughs> I, that's, I, I ain't got nothing else, it's just dumb, just stupid, you know? Literally, like that's, I don't want to say nothing else, it was just dumb. Somebody out there will defend it, though. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, I think, yeah. Uh, I made your case for you that probably WWF has yeah. 
more of the terrible gimmicks. I mean, we, we didn't even get into uh, Sergeant Slaughter as an Iraqi sympathizer, which did get heat, but a little silly. What, how'd you feel about Sheik Slaughter, essentially? Yeah, just, uh, I don't know, man. I mean, that wasn't as bad as, like, some of these other ones. I mean, I, I understood the concept behind why they would want to do something like that, but it's still nothing compared to, like, Outback Jack, Red Rooster, and those gimmicks that they did that would just, just re- like, the Rooster and Outback Jack just take the cake from me more than anything. I, I didn't go in any particular order. Let me repeat that. But right. those were, like, Rooster, whenever I think of bad gimmicks, like, 80s, I, a Rooster just, like, immediately comes to mind because of, you know, Terry Taylor was such a good talent. I mean, heck, he's, he's still, isn't he still training at the Performance Center? So like yes, he's still a good. I mean, he still knows what he's doing. But they threw this dumbass gimmick on him, and then you got Outback Jack, who was a combination of bad wrestler and bad gimmick. Well, there are plenty more gimmicks, I'm sure, that we're not able to get to. There are plenty more that we haven't even thought of that I'm sure people out there have thought of. So let us know. Tweet us at the WPAN on Twitter with your take on the episode, your thoughts. Who's your worst gimmick of the 80s? Let us know. Use the hashtag WPAN. And the best way to get to us, to get your voice on our show, give us your feedback. Use the voicemail line, 401-584-9726. That's 401-584-WPAN. And, of course, Booking the Territory Pro Wrestling Podcast, Mike Mills, twice a week. It's Sundays and Thursdays, right? Sundays and Thursdays as of this point in this recording. But, yes, we do it. 7 p.m. usually the shows drop. Like when we talk about the, the Smoky Mountain Show, the Smoky Mountain Show is completely dedicated towards that promotion. The NWA show, um, we kind of – it's like our flagship show. We kind of mix in – yeah, it's centralized theme is the Saturday night shows on TBS right now. But, I mean, we do a promo of the week, which is either an outlandish or a crazy promo that we pick weekly that we'll air and discuss. We we started doing, like, running commentaries on some of the craziest matches we've seen. Like, there was a match recently with Ronnie Garvin where Ronnie Garvin just literally beat the shit out of some poor <laughs> – poor jobber in the in the studios on tbs and if you ever watch it uh it's on our youtube channel but it's it's insane i think it was like the march 14th 1987 episode of saturday night or maybe march 21st episode of saturday night on tbs but he beats this guy named dexter westcott's ass so like we'll do commentary on things like that and uh have a good time and along with other shenanigans but that's the thursday show uh you can get there from either mikemills.podbean.com or tinyurl.com slash btt pod or just search booking the territory wherever you get your podcast from uh lots of cursing lots of shenanigans lots of uh fun but we have a good time talking old wrestling and speaking of old wrestling, our vantage point, I know you're a fan as well as uh, myself and Brian Malonis of our vantage point, the retro wrestling podcast with Joe Morata and Michael Quinn happens every Monday. OVPpodcast.com is where to find them. And of course, they're available wherever you get your podcasts. You're a big fan of OVP, right? Yeah, man. I like what those guys do. Uh, I always say the northern version of what we do. I plug them every single week on our show uh, when I do your plug as well. But they do some good stuff. I call them the northern version because, you know, they grew up on the WWF, whereas I grew up on the southern territories. Yeah, so make sure to check that out. Uh, Great episodes every week there on OVPpodcast.com. Plus, greetings from Allentown with PW. 
Peter Winston. He talks about one single episode of wrestling television and weaves it into the fabric of the time. Talks about his own personal experiences all over there on Greetings to Mallantown. You can find it on the Pro Wrestling Own the Feed or on his own feed. Make sure to check out Greetings from Allentown and the Rundown Wrestling Podcast with Jason Stewart, Adam Salzer, all those guys over there. Stuff going on all week on that feed. Make sure you check out Rundown Wrestling Podcast. Okay, it is time for this week's promo about nothing. But before we get into that, Brian Malonis is hitting the highways and byways, crisscrossing this great nation of ours, plying his trade as a professional wrestler. And he has a few dates that I'm going to read off here in his stead because he can't be here this week. This Sunday, July 29th, he will be at Yankee Homecoming. There's two shows happening that day for Proving Ground Wrestling and for Atlantic Pro Wrestling. And, of course, he is main eventing both shows as he is uh, wont to do. 10 a.m. start. 10 a.m. is an all-day festival Yankee homecoming. Free admission so you can see all the wrestling for free. That is this Sunday, 10 a.m. Newburyport, Massachusetts is the location for the Yankee homecoming festivities. And then the following Friday, August 3rd in Norwich, Connecticut, he is a part of Northeast Wrestling's Wrestling Under the Stars. That show is headlined by the one and only Rey Mysterio, plus Flip Gordon. The Young Bucks and Marty Skrull will be there as well. And of course... The Kingpin, many, many more stars there as well. NortheastWrestling.com for full card and ticket information. Then the next day, he is in Pawtucket, Rhode Island for Outside the Box Wrestling and that company's debut. And of course, he's main eventing that show as well because that's what the Kingpin does. Find Outside the Box Wrestling on Facebook for full ticket and card information. That is August 4th. One week later, he's uh, back with Northeast Wrestling in Bethany, Connecticut, Bethany Town Hall. That is August 11th, a Saturday. Check out northeastwrestling.com for more on that event coming August 11th to Bethany, Connecticut. And if you want to book the Kingpin, email brianmalonis at comcast.net or DM him on Twitter at brianmalonis. Mike Mills, this promo about nothing. The year 1982, and you provided this for us because you have been watching world-class championship wrestling on the patron feed of the Booking the Territory podcast, and you found this and provided it for us, correct? I did find this particular promo to send to you. At your request, you wanted something, and I wanted to send you something that you hadn't aired yet, and literally this one immediately came to mind. All right, so let's take a listen to this week's promo about nothing. It is Kevin and Kerry Von Erich in 1982 World class, this week's promo about nothing. Right there in the comfort of your own home, you see the world's greatest athletes right here on World Class Championship Wrestling. And one of the greatest that I've ever known, and really he's got his credentials to prove it, here is Kevin Von Erich. Thank you, Gene. I appreciate the compliment. But uh, uh, let me say, folks, uh, we're looking forward to, to coming to your town. We, uh, we wrestle quite a bit. We're the Von Erich brothers. And uh, I guess you could say uh, that we kind of like the challenge of going into new spots, new places, and meeting new people. You know, uh, this business is probably one of the best in the world, uh, meeting new young ladies and uh, pretty girls all over the place. Uh, it seems like every town has a different flock. And uh, so we'll be coming to your town pretty soon, be looking for us. And uh, when we're there, come out of the matches and check us out. You know, uh, I guess, Gene, you could say that, that we like uh, challenges, uh, one of our challenges is to rid this building, this uh, business of the kind of kind of people like Hart and his men. Uh, there's no place in this business, there's no no room for them, and uh, 
that would be our, our challenge, would be to get rid of people like that. Kevin Von Erich and throwing the challenge out once again, and there is really getting to be a lot of bad blood there, and, and I I don't know what to do about it, but it's just it's just that way, and it, so just stay tuned and watch it develop because it's something else. And now, here's Kerry Von Erich. Hey, Gene, I just want to, there's a girl named Margaret, Margaret Loveletter is her name, and she uh, she wrote me a letter and well, my whole my whole family a letter telling us how uh, they loved world-class championship wrestling, how we had the finest athletes, the finest wrestlers, I guess the finest talent than anywhere else in the world, but she's stating how it's the best in America. She says she's lived in five or six different states and she loves what we're doing. And you know, these kind of letters make us real proud and they make us feel good. And I just want to thank Margaret for it. And, and from the Von Eric family to you, thank you very much. Thank you, Kerry. Yes, people, comments, letters, phone calls, and we thank you very much for that because we believe world-class championship wrestling <laughs> is the greatest. Yes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Everywhere you go, Mike, there's a new flock. He's, he's, Kevin's ready to go spread his seed throughout the <laughs> towns and cities. There's a new flock. Uh, let me let me translate what he was saying. We want to go fuck the rats in wherever towns we're we're going to. There's a new flock. I mean, it's Jesus. I don't know if I've ever heard ever heard wrestlers call women a flock on TV like that. But that doesn't age well. Probably uh, a flock. Probably not. Uh, so that's one thing. And then look, let me say this before I say what I'm about to say. And people that listen to us twice a week, understand where we're coming from. We like to have fun when we do these promos of the week, as we call them or review the promos. We, we literally have fun. We say dumb shit. We say non PC shit. So what I'm about to say is probably non PC. So hear me out. The Von Ericks were very talented. Uh, I am of the belief that the Freebirds were the straw that stirred that drink down in world class though and i think the Freebirds, without them there would have been uh, no von erics to to pop the territory with uh, so the Freebirds came in and would pop the territory the von erics had been there for a while i don't say a while but they they were there before the Freebirds. it was the Freebirds coming in december of 82 that popped the territory in world class and made the promotion so big uh that said i have watched Numerous Kerry Von Eric promos, and I'm not trying to speak ill of the dead, and I've watched numerous Kevin Von Eric promos. I have seen way too many promos where it appears that allegedly, I would believe, Kerry Von Eric may have been on some type of substance, cutting his promos. Oh, my. If, if you were to watch that promo that Crockett just played, you can see that he may have been higher than Giraffe Pussy. <laughs> um, may have been. I have no proof. I don't have a sample to to confirm this, but it allegedly, appears that way. Allegedly, 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 very, very much allegedly. <laughs> and I don't want to speak ill of the dead because I, I, I enjoyed watching World Class as a kid. But you got to call it like you see it. There's another promo, and, and Crockett, you're not playing this one now. But there's another one where he's literally cutting a promo next to his father, and he's talking out of his mind. You can see it in his eyes that he's high. Or it looks like it. Or he's drunk, one of the two. Allegedly, it looks like Allegedly, it. allegedly. Very much so. I don't want to get sued by anyone. But it's sad when you go back and look at some of this stuff. It's laughable, but then it's very, very sad. And that's coming from somebody who watched this as a kid and did enjoy it. But when you watch it through adult eyes, you're like, wow, Fritz really probably couldn't see what was going on. It, it's kind of a... It's kind of sad. It really is. Uh, as we make jokes about it and laugh at Caravan <laughs> talking about 
scoring a flock of rats and Carrie making up Margaret love letter as he looks like he just may have had something slipped in his drink or something. Yeah, the, the irony, the complete coincidence that a woman named Margaret love letter wrote a love letter. Jesus. Amazing. I know, right. <laughs> I like how he just kind of Kevin just kind of threw in there at the end. Oh, you know, Gary Hart's stable. Da, 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 that's our challenge. But he, le- he leads with the stuff about the broads. He comes with that first. That's we know. I think we know. The flock. <laughs> flock comes first. The flock comes first. Uh, what What was the date on that episode again, Crockett? I forgot. February twentieth, nineteen eighty two. Okay, so if you have the network, you can go watch that promo, and you will see exactly what Crockett and I are talking about here. Now, Kevin may not have been on anything, but I think Carrie may have had something going on. But a flock of uh, women doesn't age well in two thousand and eighteen. No, it certainly doesn't. And if you don't want to get to the network, if you're not a subscriber to the network like I am, you can get the full picture through the link in the description of this episode. It's actually a link to the video you put up there on YouTube, Mike. Uh, or you can see it at the WPAN.com. That is the WPAN.com. Check out uh, Spacey Kerry Von Eric uh, <laughs> in all of his glory. <laughs> All right, Mike, uh, that's just about it for this episode of the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing. Thanks very much for stepping in for the Kingpin. Uh, Why don't you give yourself a final plug there? Find out uh, how people can find you on Twitter and everywhere else. Oh, just go to at Mike504Saints. And the show Twitter is at BTT underscore podcast. Send all your hate mail there. I know I kind of made some people mad the last time I was on. But, you know, I'm just having fun, man. So uh, don't take me too serious. Uh, I like to chop it up with Crockett and Malonis and uh, give them a hard time as they like to bury Southern Wrestling. And I then will come back and do my best to uh, bury the North when it deserves it, like we did on this episode. But at the same time, as you saw, uh, there were things in Jim Crockett promotions that were shitty as well. So there you go. But, uh, yeah, at mike Saints and at BTT underscore podcast. And um, if you listen to the show and like it, go to the Facebook page or the Facebook group, tinyurl.com slash BTTFB group. And we'll let you in as long as you know the answers to the questions. Uh, So thank you very much, uh, Crockett, for having me on again. I enjoyed it. And I got to keep up in uh, when's the next time so that I can get ahead of uh, Brian Fury. Uh, As soon as possible, as soon as possible, because great time here on the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing. Thank you very much, Mike. We are back. Well, not me and you, Mike Mills, but hopefully me and the Kingpin Brian Malonis next Monday for episode 119 of the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing. Till then, he was the menace Mike Mills for the Kingpin Brian Malonis. I'm Mike Crockett. Big ups to Mucko, and thanks for nothing.